0: If you don't have a copy of God's word with you today. That's all right. We got you covered. Just raise your hand and one of our Beacon Hill team members will bring a copy of God's Word down to you this morning. Uh, we love giving out uh, God's Word here. We just got our fourth shipment of Bibles in uh, uh, this week. And so it's a blessing to be able to get God's Word out into the community. Yes, amen. It's a blessing to be able to do that. And we thank you to your, your faithful offerings to be able to do that and give it out to the community. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, we are a newer church that uh, have been planted here really in our desire is just to make much of Jesus Christ we want to shine the light of Christ into every single place of un well and we pray that we make much of Jesus in our communities and it's our desire as a church that that we are a diverse body of believers that, that we look like the community with uh, that we live in that we are a diverse group of people that grow together in Christ Jesus that live together in community and we are, are serving King Jesus and the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and so that's our desire church. When when I believe, like, when you get to heaven, there's not going to be white people over here, black people over here, Hispanic people over here, and Asian people there. That's not what heaven's going to look like. It's going to be every people of all cultures and all races gathered together and praising the King of kings and Lord of lords for all eternity. And I pray, amen, yes, get excited about that. I pray that our church is just a preview of what is to come. So when you when you have a diverse body of believers, that, that comes with uh, different worship styles, uh different ways of worship. We understand that some people are uh, more reserved when they when they worship, they meditate on it, and some people are more expressive. And and I'm telling you, neither is right or wrong. Uh the key is, as scripture says, that we are not to quench the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're to do, right? You do you. Whatever you need to do, you do it. If you want to meditate on God's Word, meditate on God's Word. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. If you want to say amen, say amen. If you want to say preach it, say preach it. If you said, preacher, it's time to go home, I just appreciate you shut up and keep that to yourself, all right? So we get it, all right? We straight? All right, so if you're able to, please stand in honor of reading God's Word this morning as we read Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version of the Bible. The Word of God says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. You may be seated. I have um, reached a point in my life where I'm not as uh, hip as I think I am, uh, but I am uh, hipper than my children believe me to be. Uh, Anybody else like that, right? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right? So it's at the cross-section of those two places that actually came up with today's sermon title. Today's message is entitled Hashtag Relationship Goals. Hashtag Relationship Goals. You gotta put the hashtag on it, right? When you look at it today, uh, when you see on social media, if you were to put hashtag relationship goals, what you would see typically is a picture of someone who is saying, I saw something that really, uh, something I desire. I like a relationship like that. Or, Or my relationship is something that I want everyone to see and I kind of want to boast about it, right? So popular is this hashtag that when I put that on Instagram this week as I was typing up the sermon, some 5.7 million responses came out. 5.7 million responses. I can tell you that I am a less sanctified person for even looking at any of the results, all right? Uh, And I I think we need to understand this, right? The problem with uh, relationship goals, it's often uh, that what is we are judging on the outside instead of what is happening on the inside. It's what everyone else sees instead of what God knows about your relationship. This is no different than the problem in the church today. People tend to base their relationship with Christ on outward appearances instead of inward transformation, And so people uh, will do this, and and so I want to talk to you this morning about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, and I want you to be able to answer two questions this morning. What are my relationship goals when it comes to Christ, and what is my measuring stick when it comes to obtaining those goals? See, it's my desire that every member of this body of believers has a growing and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ one that is not swayed by the latest fad or religion, but one that is rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we live in a day and age when access to information is more readily accessible than they ever have been. Think about how far we have come just since this letter was written. Paul wanted to write a letter to the church of Philippi. He was in jail, likely in Rome, and so he literally had to take a a letter out. Remember when we took a piece of paper out and actually wrote a letter. He wrote it on a piece of parchment, and then he had to find somebody who would deliver that letter 800 miles to the church of Philippi. But yet today, today what we see is we're able to access information, anything that we want literally by the click of a button, uh, by a phone that is likely attached to your hand at this moment. This is how we come up with information today. The problem with that is, while a lot of that is good, the problem with that is we rarely test to see whether or not that information that we are receiving is true. We just take it at face value. That goes the same when you go into a Christian bookstore, right? When you go into a Christian bookstore, you assume that everything that you are picking up and reading is rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I got news flash for you. Christian bookstores are in the business of making money. If a book sells, they will, will stock more of it. You've got to do something pretty egregious to have your book pulled from a Christian bookstore shelf. So have you ever sat there and, and literally tested what you were reading against Scripture? And I think we see this in the church as well, Right? We see this, that people will go to a church, they'll hear a message about God or they'll hear a message that that references Jesus, but they never go home and they search the scriptures like the Bereans to see if what they have heard is the truth. This is what we see today. This is not new, right? The churches have been dealing with this for a long time. We have been seeing this happen. And so this is why this scripture this morning, this section of scripture that that Paul is sharing with the church of Philippi, it actually comes at a time where they were seeing a false teaching come in. They were seeing people that said, what you're doing is not right and you need to do it this way. And so Paul wanted to address the church of Philippi with the false teachings that were coming up in and around the church. I really wanna dig into this in uh, verse one of chapter three so we can see how... Paul starts this letter off. Notice what verse one says. He says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is actually safe for you. Now, it's actually hysterical to me that Paul starts off this section of the letter, literally the first word in chapter three of a four chapter letter with the word finally. How many times have you heard a sermon uh, preach where the pastor says finally, or in conclusion, or wrapping up, and you start to zip up your Bibles, but you know darn well that the pastor is just getting started, he's not wrapping up. So we see this right here in Scripture here, where Paul is literally saying finally, but it's better translated, and some of your Bibles actually have this, as furthermore. He's hitting a different section of Scripture that he wants to share with people. Matter of fact, I wanna say this, is if you're new to church, When God's Word was written, it didn't come with chapters and verses, right? Those were man-made. They were added on there. So so Paul is just writing. This is the next thing that the Holy Spirit had on his heart to to write. And so the first thing that he says to the church, he understands that they're dealing with some false teaching. They're, They're getting kind of worked up about it. And so he says, finally, do what? Rejoice in the Lord. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord that this stuff is happening, Rejoice not in the world, but rejoice in the Lord. He tells the church of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord is a central theme of Paul's letter to the church of Philippi. Because says joy doesn't come from what you're dealing with on the outside. Joy comes from what you have on the inside. And that is the Holy Spirit that is living with inside of you that will give you joy when the world is trying to take it from you. So Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord. Because the truth of the matter is, regardless of what you're dealing with, you can always rejoice. God is worthy rejoicing at all times. He understood that, that there was false teaching coming on, that it was really disturbing the church that they were dealing with this, and yet he's saying, look, it's all right. This ain't the first time that this has been happening. While it might not be easy and it might be frustrating, you can rejoice in what is happening. See, we understand that Paul was giving a ministry to, to uh preached to the Gentiles, that is the people who were lost, the people who didn't know Jesus. And so he went into place after place and he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And every time that he came in and shared the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know what happened? False teachings came in. People started trying to correct him, saying what he was doing wasn't correct. And this is actually a good thing. This is actually a good thing because you know what? Wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ is being faithfully preached, wherever Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ being crucified is faithfully preached, Satan will not be happy. Satan will not be happy with what is happening. He will come in and he will try to disturb and alter. And so Paul is writing to the church of Philippi saying to write the same things to you it's no trouble to me. In other words, this isn't his first rodeo. He's had to write the same things, the same type of letter to every church that he has started because every church that is trying to push back darkness, that is trying to tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to deal with false teaching. They're gonna deal with these things that come up. And so they needed to be reminded of what they had in Christ Jesus. If they weren't continually reminded about Jesus and what he did for them and Jesus Christ being crucified, they would be tempted to be swayed by the teachings that were coming on, the the new fad religion. See, here at Beacon Hill Church, we don't preach Jesus Christ occasionally. We preach Jesus Christ continually. We need to be reminded of God's grace and mercy in our lives and that Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ saves. We need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded where our our true faith lies so we were not swayed by the latest fad in religion that comes. So Paul says, look, it's actually a good thing. It's actually a good thing that I'm praying in this letter to you, that I'm sharing it with you because I want you to understand you're being faithful and I want you to be rooted and, and not swayed by what other people are trying to tell you to do. So he says, look, rejoice in the Lord. But then he tells them to to watch out. He's literally telling them, secondly, I have a warning for you that I want you to understand that while people come, there will be some in the church that are swayed by the latest fads, the latest religions, the latest ways to heaven. And so he says in verses two and three, let me read it. It says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, if you're just reading verse two uh, and you're not really uh, understanding the context for which it is written, this is kind of crazy to see, right? He's saying, look out for dogs, look out uh, for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. I'm pretty much gonna look out for those people, right? I mean, you look at it on the surface and, and you're like, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure if there's a mean dog or there's a vicious dog, we're going to watch out for them. If I see someone mutilating their flesh, I'm probably going to get on the other side of the street. But what Paul is saying is he's actually throwing shade at the false teachers. He's actually throwing shade at the false teachers at the same time instructing and teaching the, the church of Philippi. When he says watch out for the dogs, see, you need to understand that the uh, Jewish uh Christians, the Judaizers, who believed that they had the right religion, they believed that they had the right faith, they actually called Gentiles as unclean people, and they referred to them as dogs because they considered dogs to be unclean people. They, they considered dogs to be uh, not good to be around. And so when they refer to Gentiles, those who are lost people as dogs, they're like, stay away from the dogs. They didn't want nothing to do with them. And yet Paul is telling the, 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 the church at Philippi that you need to look out for the dogs and the dogs are actually not Gentiles. They're not lost people. And there's religious people who are pushing people away from Christ. He's saying this, look out for the dogs. I don't know if, um, I go into a lot of houses every week Have you ever had a problem when you look at a dog, except for the Wilbur's dog, but that's another story. When you look at a dog, do they generally bother you when you're looking at them? Or is it when you turn around that they try to get you? You know, I've always gone, and when I go to a house, I'm always going like this, right? Because I know at any moment in time, they're gonna try to nip my heels. They're gonna try to attack me, right? And sometimes they carry diseases. And so what Paul is saying, you need to look out for those dogs that are barking the false doctrines, that are trying to infect you with infectious diseases, that are trying to take you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Those are people who believe that you can get saved by doing good works. These are not immoral people. These are people that are telling you that you've got to earn your way to heaven. Paul is saying, watch out for these evildoers. And thirdly, he says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. What does he mean when he's saying mutilate the flesh? See, they believed that if you were going to be saved, that you had to hold on to the Old Testament laws. And they believed that anybody who was going to be saved had to be circumcised. So they considered this mutilating the flesh because this was not necessary for salvation. Matter of fact, if you're here today, I won't even go there because that could get awkward conversation. I'm just saying that they believed that if you were saved, you would have to follow through with circumcision. So Paul is saying, don't, don't follow those dogs. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then he reminded them who they are in Christ Jesus. And I think we need to understand this. He says, we are the circumcision. We are not people that have been circumcised by worldly measures or worldly uh, uh, rituals or religions. We are people who have been circumcised in our hearts by the work that only Jesus Christ could do. He has done a work in our lives that only he and he alone can do. We are people who worship by the spirit of God. We we worship in spirit and truth. We are people who should come together, not worrying about what the person next to us is doing or how the person on the other side of us is worshiping, but what the Holy Spirit inside of us is telling us to do. We are the circumcised who worship by the Spirit and who glory in Christ Jesus. We're not trying to give ourselves credit. We're not trying to boast in our name. We're not trying to boast in Beacon Hill Church's name, but we're trying to glory and boast in Jesus Christ who deserves it and no one else does. This is what he's saying here. And he's saying no confidence in the flesh. See, back in those days, and the motto that is really popular in these days as well is the Lord helps those who helps themselves. Have you ever heard that phraseology before? The Lord, matter of fact, the truth of the matter is the Lord helps those who can't help themselves. We are nothing. We cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus. It reminds me of a story that I heard from Warren Wearsby this week. He says it like this. This lady told a pastor one time about what she believed about going to heaven. She said, Getting to heaven is like rowing a boat. One oar is faith and the other oar is works. If you use both, you'll get to where you're going. If you use only one, you'll go around in circles. The pastor said, There's only one thing wrong with the illustration that you're using, ma'am, is that no one's going to heaven in a rowboat. If you try to earn your way to heaven, you will fall eternally short. Let me speak to this for a moment. Millions of people try to earn their way to heaven. Billions of people believe their religion will give them salvation. They think just because they were baptized as an infant that they are okay. These are what what people do. There are people in this room today who believe that their good works are gonna get them to heaven, that, that maybe they get baptized when they were an infant and they didn't know what they were doing but they believe that baptism saves them. They believe all these things that are happening, right? You can say your prayers. You can be baptized. You can give a lot to the church. You can serve in every capacity to the church that there is. But if you do not know Jesus Christ is Lord of your lives, you're going to help. So don't put your, your, your religion, uh, your trust in your religion because it won't save you. Don't put your trust in your parents' faith because it won't save you. Don't put your trust in your baptism because it won't save you. Don't put your trust in being a faithful churchgoer or a faithful giver. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is what scripture is saying. He's saying, watch out for people that tell you that Jesus Christ is not enough. Paul gives a personal example in verses four through six. Let me read it for you. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Listen to the resume that he gives here. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. If that's what it takes to get to heaven, I did that. He said, of the people of Israel, this is where I came from. The tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. One of the things I love about Paul is he's not up on this ivory tower telling people things that he hasn't experienced in his own life. He, he is someone who understands that his works were filthy rags apart from the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. He understood this. When he lays out his spiritual resume, he had the right ritual, he had the right race, he had the right family, he had the right religion, he had the right clique, he had the right passion, he had the right morals. And if there's any person who could be saved based on what they did, it would be Paul. The question that you have to ask yourself is, if this was how Paul was living, why did he come so drastically wrong from how he was living? How did he get everything so wrong? It's because he was using the wrong measuring stick. It was how he was taught to live. Many of us have grown up in the church and we have taught salvation is a certain way. We are taught to live a certain way. We've been taught to follow a bunch of rituals. As a matter of fact, I'm telling you, I've really never done a baptism out in the street corner in Hopewell before. I'm used to doing it in a church with something like up here doing it like that, but nowhere in scripture says that you have to do that, does it? Look, Paul was using wrong measuring stick. He was looking on the outside what people told him to do, but when he finally measured himself up against Jesus Christ on that Damascus road, he understood that everything that he had worked for, everything that he had did was going to leave him eternally short from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord of his life. This is where most of us are today. We're using the wrong measuring stick. We're not comparing ourselves to Jesus Christ. We're not seeing the need for Jesus Christ. We're comparing our spiritual walk next to the person next to us. And instead of what Jesus Christ is asking us to do in our lives. So I wanna share with you what it means to have a right relationship. And I gotta be honest with you, this really tore me up when I was writing this sermon. Look with me at verse seven through 11, what scripture says. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him, in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul had everything that the world could possibly offer to him. He was trained under uh, the Gamaliel, the best teacher, he had the best heritage, he had friends, he had power, he had fame, but he understood that he didn't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And when he says in verse seven, when he did a balance sheet, when he counted up everything that he had in the world, he counted his loss compared to knowing Jesus Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. that comes from the Greek word skubula, which really means to be blunt crap. He says, everything in my life that I had apart from Jesus is literally nothing, it's rubbish, it's skubula, it's crap compared to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord of my life. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're holding on to tightly. I don't know the things in this world that that you hold in higher esteem than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. But all that stuff Everything that you see in the world, everything that the world tells you is rubbish compared to knowing the surpassing grace and love of Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. I can tell you when Paul says, I, I counted it as loss. I, I sat there and I got emotional because sometimes I get on my pity pot. As a pastor, you are isolated. You're put in a bubble. You know, not, I mean, Ryan Jenkins and me are literally some of the, these are like one of the only people I talked to back from high school, Right. Uh, he, God brought him into this church with his family. And, but most of my friends from high school and college, they have gone their own way. They, when I turned my life over to Jesus, all of a sudden those, those phone calls started getting fewer and fewer. The, the invites to, to things started coming fewer and fewer. And you know, all those things that I've lost, earthly gain, I count as rubbish compared to what I know I have in Christ Jesus. I can tell you that if you follow Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, it will cost you something. It's gonna cost you something. It might cost you a relationship with your family. It might cost you a relationship with your friends. It, it, it might cost you your job. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is worth it. As you grow in your love for Jesus Christ, as you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you realize there's nothing, there's nothing in this world worth holding on to that Jesus Christ cannot replace, tenfold. He is worth it. And so when I look at this scripture and, and I close up, I want you to really see these last things that comes from verses nine through 11. Place your faith in Christ and not in the things of this world. Place your faith in Christ and not of the things of this world. Place your faith in Christ, not in the things of this world. And secondly, listen to this. Don't depend on yourself. Don't depend on the world to give you satisfaction. Depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it says right here. And you will find him when you seek him with all your heart. Are you doing that this morning? Are you seeking him with all your heart? Are you living a life that is depending on Jesus Christ? Are you depending on the things of this world? I'm telling you today, as we close, I I know that there are people here that are holding on to the things of this world and not giving their all to Jesus Christ. Just a few moments, we're gonna have a baptism out there. If you've never been baptized, if you've never, you know that in scripture, only one time does someone wait more than one day to be baptized after they knew Jesus Christ as Lord of their life. And that was the apostle Paul. He waited three days. If you're here today and you've never been baptized, we've got plenty of shirts, we've got towels, we've got everything, we'd love to baptize you. I am going to ask you to come forth after I pray and we'll talk to you and teach you the gospel and make sure you know what you're doing and then we're gonna baptize you just a little bit. Maybe you wanna be a part of this church, but maybe you're dealing with something in your life that you realize that you really are completely depending on Christ. When I look at this and I thought about this this week, I said, can the church really pick out false teaching? I mean, are they rooted enough in Jesus Christ that they can pick out false teaching? And then secondly, are they rooted enough to where they understand that they need to continually grow in Jesus Christ and not be content with where they are? Are you content this morning? Or do you wanna keep growing in Christ and see what Christ has for you? I wanna pray and I'm gonna ask you to respond to the Word of God this morning. If you need prayers, you need anything that's going on in your life, we encourage you to respond. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for who you are. I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is life. It's all we need. Lord, when this world tries to offer us so much and, and distracts us from having a relationship with you, we realize sometimes you've got to take us down to nothing to start building us up again. And so, Lord, I pray this morning as this time of invitation comes that there's someone in this room today that needs to have a right relationship with you. Maybe they have heard different things about what it means to have a relationship with you. Maybe they have tried to go their own way. Maybe they tried to depend on themselves. Maybe they have looked at other religions and realizing that religion will never give you a relationship, but only placing your faith and trust in you as Lord of your lives. Lord, we're all sinners. We all need you. And so, Lord, I pray at this time of invitation that the Holy Spirit will do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do, and you will be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we respond this morning.